this is your first time being able to be here in this meeting, uh, we're glad you're here. And I hope you'll pick up your Bible this morning and follow along. The things I have to say uh, is the most probably the most important thing. I know it's the most important thing uh, that you're going to think about this week because it's something that we all will absolutely face. There's an old poem by Isaac Watts written in 1706. It's called The Day of Judgment. When the fierce north wind with his airy forces rears up the Baltic to a foaming fury, and red lightning with a storm of hail comes rushing down. How the poor sailors stand amazed and tremble, while the thunder like a trumpet roars a loud onset to the gaping waters quick to devour them. Such shall the noise be in wild disorder. Such shall the dire terror when the great archangel shakes the creation, tears down strong pillars in the vaults a vault of heaven, breaks up old marble and the repose of princes, sees the graves open and bones rising flames all around them. Hark, the shrill outcries of the guilty wretches, lively bright horror, amazing anguish, stare through their eyelids while the living worm lies gnawing within them. Thoughts like old vultures prey upon their heartstrings, and the smart twinge when the eye beholds the lofty judge frowning with a flood of vengeance rolling before him. Hopeless immortals, how they scream and shiver, while devils push them to the pit wide yawning, hideous and gloomy, to receive them headlong down to the center. Stop here, all away, ye horrid, doleful ideas. Come, arise to Jesus. How he sits like God, with the saints around him, throned yet adoring. Oh, may I sit there when he comes triumphant, dooming the nations. Then ascend with him to glory while our hosannas all along the passage shout, Redeemer, Redeemer, Redeemer. Jesus is your judge. If you ever needed a neon sign in front of your house, in your mirror on a daily basis, this is that opportunity for you. The scripture absolutely tells us that Jesus is the big deal. Some of you hear me say that a lot. Jesus is the big deal. Not only is he big, he's powerful. What happens to a lot of people is they see Jesus and they see the idea that he was meek. And they talk about Jesus like he was humble. And they even draw pictures of Jesus like he was some sort of a soft soap, dishwater hand, effeminate man in pictures. Jesus is almighty God. Jesus is the son of God. When you think about power, you've never understood. We've never been able to comprehend or wrap our mind around the kind of power that it took to be this because it's exactly what sinners like me, sinners like you needed. John would say, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And we see a pitiful little lamb. Don't think of it like that. Think about it as a perfect, unique, the only one. That's who Jesus is. Think about the one that literally could raise the dead. You don't have that power. The brightest physician in the world doesn't have that power. Nobody has that power. Jesus does. We're all in every nation 
headed toward a day where everyone is going to get to meet him. And some people, it's going to be a wonderful thing. To others, it's not only not going to be a wonderful thing, it's going to be an awful thing. And there are sermons that strike fear and there are sermons that provoke hope. This is one that can do both depending upon where you sit with Christ. There's never a time where a preacher should preach a sermon when you are in a relationship with God and Christ and you're following Him where you feel like uh, you don't have any hope. You know what hope is? I want to get this straight right now. Do you know what hope is? It's not, I hope I win the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes. You know that ain't going to happen. They give it to somebody that doesn't exist. I think it's the same fake house every February. I filled out my junk. All I get is junk mail. It didn't happen. I'm telling you, hope is not, oh, I fill that out. Oh, maybe I'll win this, that, or the other. Hope is earnest expectation. It's going to happen. Because God is faithful that promised. That's who our God is. That's who Jesus is. And that's where our hope lies this morning. In John, or Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36, here's what the Bible says. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. It's like a surprise visit. And it's the last visit. There's not going to be another one. You can get and, and you can destroy the whole fear concept. Listen, we live in a world today where people are afraid and people don't understand and people don't have a clue about Jesus. And so some preacher plays on that and fear mongers people into thinking there's going to be a rapture and a left behind series and all that stuff. That is not biblical. There is no evidence in scripture to support that whatsoever. If you think that, you need to study the Word of God. I will give you the materials to do that. That's not right. And here's why. I want to show it to you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, here's what uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church here. And they had people that were coming to them and telling them that there was not going to be a resurrection because it didn't happen right now. Here's what he said in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep. In other words, your loved ones that are dead, you need to get this. I don't want you to be ignorant about this, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. There's that word hope again. Read on. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So let's think about this. We've got dead loved ones that died faithful to God. They're in the ground today and we're alive and Jesus shows up. God's not going to make a distinction between us who are alive. We don't get special privileges just because of that. In fact, it's the opposite way around. Listen to what happens first. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Your loved ones that are in the ground today, those tombstones that we have to go visit, all of those one day are going to be resurrection sites. And don't you ever forget it. Every cemetery in this world is going to, un it's going to be an unbelievable sight. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, verse 17, 
which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall ever, we will ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Does that comfort you? Do you know the people that comforts? That comforts the people that are following Jesus Christ. That comforts the people that are saved. You know what that passage doesn't do? It doesn't do anything to comfort sinners. Do you know the scriptures and these letters that were written to churches, they were written to help people that were saved. Sinners can't even pray to God and be heard because Jesus said, we know God does not hear sinners' prayers. Paul wanted to give hope to people that were saved yet discouraged. Paul wanted people to have an earnest expectation not to be afraid. Do you know what I want the church to not be? I don't want the church to be afraid. I want you to be able to look forward every night and every day to the coming of Jesus Christ. Because it's the one and done. It's going to happen one time. And it's all going to be over as far as this life is concerned. Listen to what God did for Jesus. The Bible says in John 5, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto his Son. When Paul was writing to the Athenians on Mars, or not writing, preaching to them, on Mars Hill in Acts the 17th chapter, here's, just take a look here. In Acts chapter 17, he comes up and he preaches to them. They had never known about God. And he preaches how that God of one blood made all the nations of the earth. And he walked them through history and how that God had woven this amazing tapestry of redemption. And finally, it culminated in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Here's what he said. At the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance, and that he hath raised him from the dead. When Jesus got up out of the ground, it cemented his judgment. It cemented judgment day. In fact, not only did it cement that, it cemented our responsibility in preparing for that day. Again, the Sermon on Judgment will be a great, exciting thing for people that are following Jesus Christ, and it is a terrible thing for people that are not. If you're here and you're not right with God, I don't want you to leave here. I don't want you to go to bed tonight and sleep well. I'm not opposed to fear. The Bible says it's the beginning of understanding. When I preach Jesus and am crucified, the Bible teaches that produces love for God in people's hearts. But fear has a place. We're going, to exent, we're going to talk about that place this morning. Listen, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, Paul told the church, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive of the things done in his body according to what he had done, whether it be good or bad. There's a video played. You know, everybody, all these superstars and NFL players that whoop their wives and drag people out in the streets and do all kind of crazy stuff on camera, 
They sure wish it wasn't on camera because then they would say, well, it's just your word against mine. God has a camera, so to speak, on our life. God's taking video evidence of, of our life. I'll tell you what I want. I want some of the parts erased, don't you? You know where he gives you that ability to do that? When you follow Jesus Christ unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. You don't follow Jesus, you don't get to erase it. In other words, you're going to sit there before the God of heaven and it's going to be outlined and we're going to receive the things that we deserve and there will be no defense attorney, there will be nothing there except pure exactly what we have coming. Unless you follow Jesus. And then you don't get what you really deserve because you're forgiven. I've got to hurry and talk about Jesus, our judge. First of all, he is righteous. According to 2 Timothy 4 and 8, he is faithful and true in Revelations 19 11. And in righteousness, he doth judge. Christ will be impartial. 1 Peter 1, 17, God, who without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work. John 8, 16, if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. To all those... There are very few passages that people know very well that are not religious. One of them is, don't judge me. You're judging me. You ever heard that before? You ever used that before? Don't judge me. You're judging me. One day, the one that made you, the one that created you, is going to judge you. That's going to happen. And all the... All the thinking and all the whining in the world that our culture has given people to rationalize sin will be on a shelf and it will not be admissible. The God of heaven is going to give exactly what people deserve according to his righteousness, his holiness. And it only, only can be different. If you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and you are now justified, you want to know how I know this is a big deal? Today you may carry a lot of guilt. I run into people all the time that have guilt complexes and have a difficult time forgiving themselves. Let's see if this works for you. Think about this. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous are not going to go to heaven? What? What? That's not what our culture says. I'm a good person. Don't you know I'm a good person? I'm real nice. That's not what it says. Don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? But do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, I live about 20 minutes from long-haired duck dynasty. They didn't get the passage about 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16, but they're pretty good guys. He read this to somebody doing an interview, and they called him uh, a homophobe and a bigot. You can wrap all the people up 
that want to say that when you read the Word of God, that makes you a homophobe, or that makes you a hater, or that makes you judgmental, and you can just put them on a shelf because the Creator of the universe is not interested in the unrighteous, creative, self-justifying, sin-justifying habits of mankind. He's not. And here's the hope I was going to give you. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That means that there are people right here in this audience that fit the bill on pretty much anything you want to write right there. Throw it up in the air, find a bunch of names. You're going to find mine in there. You're going to find yours in there. And listen to what he says. Here's the hope. And such were some of you, but ye are washed Ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You want to get rid of your guilt complex? Get rid of your sin. You can't do it by yourself. You can't get rid of sin by yourself. The only one that can get rid of sin is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's my stripes that will heal you. You won't figure out a new way to get to God. Only through Jesus. He's righteous. He's also knowledgeable. In Romans 2.16, Paul said, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men, by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel, there are things that Jesus knows that nobody else knows about me or you. Moving on, Jesus will not be deceived. This is a big one. In John chapter 4, Jesus sat and talked to a Samaritan woman. Two things are big about that. First of all, Jews didn't talk to most women, especially not Samaritan women, and have a spiritual conversation with her. And in that moment, she had been married, divorced, and remarried way too many times. I'm going to give you the whole deal about marriage, divorce, and remarriage real quick. You ready for it? God wants you to be married and stay married your whole life. If somebody commits adultery on you, Jesus said you can put them away for adultery and you're innocent and you can marry again. That's it. This whole three, four, five marriage junk that our society is dishing out is garbage. It's going to be judged by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who created marriage. He ought to know how many times we can get married or not. Not our society. So Jesus tells her, yeah... You really don't have a right to the man now. And she was shocked. You know what the Bible says she did? She went into the city and said, Come see a man which told me all things I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Yeah, she was smart. She was smart. She was not fooled, or he was not fooled in the least. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, the scripture says, The whole duty of man of man." is to fear God and keep His commandments. Listen, verse 14 says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I don't want to leave you scared today. I don't want you to leave here guilty today. What I want you to recognize is there's one thing that can do something about all that fear that these passages can happen or to, to, to place in your heart. Listen, here it goes. Blood. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ 
cleanseth us. You know what that means? Keeps on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. You don't go home, you don't go to bed scared of God unless you want to live that life. Then you better go home and you better go to, to bed scared of God. God is not immune to wanting people to fear Him. God is not afraid of that, but that is not the relationship God wants. Fear is one of those things, again, that is the beginning of understanding. God will bring every secret ill will and malice and hatred and envy and jealousy. The things that you think of that sometimes nobody else knows that you think of, those are the things that Jesus knows. Think about this. The standard Jesus will use on judgment day is the word of God. John 12, 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. The Bible says, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Let's get this straight. Grace, you know what grace is? It's a gift you don't deserve. Unmerited favor, that's Jesus. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Listen to this, though. He said grace and truth comes by Jesus Christ. John 1, 17. The standard of truth, what is it? John 17, 17, the Savior of mankind said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You better get your Bible out. You better start looking at your Bible. Because if you want Jesus, you've got to pay attention to his word. There's nothing more disrespectful and more disgusting today than suggesting to a, to a world that our religious world does, which basically says you can have Jesus, you can have a relationship with Jesus, and ignore everything he says. If you don't like it, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. That's not what you find in Scripture. What you find in Scripture is that the Word will be our judge and nothing else is more important than that. What about people that tell you things? What about people that change the Word of God? What about that? In Revelations 22, 18 and 19, here's what the Revelator said. I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Well, that's pretty plain. Why do you think John the Revelator said that? Why, why do you think he was inspired to say that? It's because John was in the middle of a big time theological fight over Jesus. Let me explain to you how this worked. The Gnostics would teach that there was a separation between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh, the body, it would do bad things. But the spirit, oh, it was good. It was good. They would apply that to Jesus, and there were certain Gnostic teachers that would even teach that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. In 1 John, the guy that wrote the book of Revelation wrote this too. Listen, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. Verse 3, 
That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Notice he said, and I write these things unto you that your joy may be full. You want to know why it's a big deal that you read the Bible cover to cover and you know what the scriptures teach? It's because this is the way Jesus communicates. This is the way that Jesus is followed. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you keep my words, my Father and I will come and we'll make our abode with you. You want God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in you? You want their presence? You want their favor? You want their blessings? Listen to them. Listen to them. Every one of you in this room have parents. Every one of you in this room know the parental and family laws that you live by. There are boundaries in every single one of your homes. If you go to a certain point and you violate those boundaries, you've just jeopardized and perhaps even destroyed that relationship. How on earth can we get that among our own physical families here and not recognize that when it comes to God Almighty? He cares. And the standard he's going to judge us by is truth. We're not going to be compared by each other. We run into people sometimes that say, you know what, I'm a better person than people I know that go to church. That sounds like a good talking point, doesn't it? Yeah. There's hypocrites that go to church. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm just an all-out sinner. Let me think about this. I'm not going to go to church because I've compared and said, you know what, some of the things that I do are better than some people that go to church that are hypocrites. So you're going to go to hell with all the hypocrites? How much sense does that make? The hypocrite argument is one of the dumbest arguments I've ever heard. Why would people choose to go be lost? Because they can't or don't have an ability to get past a hypocrite. Paul said, we do not dare make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. There are people today, perhaps, that fall into the saddest category on earth because their parents have taught them an erroneous doctrine which goes like this. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're saved. And you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to follow Jesus. You don't have to worship. You don't have to do anything else. Here's what James said about that in James 2 and 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? I don't know about you, but that doesn't make me feel very good about a whole lot of doctrinal things that I hear at times on TV. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You probably wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't, but I'm going to tell you something that's very important. The Son of God gets to determine what faith is and what your faith looks like. You don't get to and no, no, no way does any other preacher. The reason why there are churches and the reason why there are preachers that have favor and have lots and lots of people that follow them is because they withhold the word of God and they withhold the cure. And here's why. 
This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. If a preacher teaches a sermon where you can basically believe in Jesus and you're all good and you never have to worry about your sinful lifestyle, that's a false teacher. He's teaching lies. Why? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. He goes on to say, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work lawlessness or sin. I don't know about you, but I'm going to go with Jesus on this one. I'm going to go with Jesus on the fact that Peter said, Be ye holy as I am holy. I'm going to go with Jesus who said in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Be perfect just like your heavenly Father is perfect. You know the only way you're ever going to be who God wants you to be is when you're saved by the blood of Jesus and you're following Jesus. That's the only way. It's the only way. To those who told you that you can blow off worship and blow off plugging into a local church, they've lied to you. People that tell you that the church is unimportant and you can have a personal relationship with Jesus outside of the church have no clue about how important the church is to Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Ephesians 1, says that God put everything under Jesus' feet and made him head to be over all things to the church, which is his body. Colossians 1, 18 through 20. Four, makes that plain. The church is his body. Ephesians 5.24 says, Jesus is the savior of the body. You think you can be saved outside of the church? Are you kidding me? Who lied to you? Who told you a lie in your life and told you church is not important? Somebody did. We live in a culture that's blowing off church like never before. It's not a big deal. I'm going to be okay. I... What? What? Jesus said, The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. For God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23 and 24. That's what Jesus told the Samaritan woman. And if you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to look forward to Jesus Christ coming back one day, you'd better be in the church and you'd better be worshiping in his church and you'd better be plugged into his church because I feel sorry for people that have bought into lies that the church is unimportant and it's not a big deal. Jesus said, or Paul said this in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the point I want to make about that. A lot of times we have a little T category and, and you can do this. You can do the in sins and the out sins. 
The out sins are public sins. It's pretty hard to cover it up when people murder somebody else, right? Pretty hard to cover it up. If you're red solo cup and drunk all the time, pretty hard, isn't it? Yeah. We don't want that. We don't want a DUI showing up in the paper. We don't want to be in jail for some big old bad sin, right? But then the inside sins. Envy. Jealousy. Um, hate. Not a big deal, right? Sometimes I don't think I've done a very good job with this. We get to focusing on people that have committed adultery and fornicators. Because those are things that are like in our face, home wrecking deals, family wrecking deals, ruins kids' lives. And I'm not saying we should ever stop focusing on that because those are sins that our culture is cramming down our throat and asking us to be okay with. But if you read Galatians 5, there's a whole lot in there that's inside stuff. In fact, probably a little bit more inside than outside. And I want you to hear this now. Not me. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging your life. But Jesus is. He said, I'm going to tell you again as I've told you in time past. If you do these things, you won't go to heaven. My mama was a clean freak. Neat nut, whatever you want to call it. it she, was, she had some OCD problems. She ironed her sheets and all that good stuff and folded dirty clothes in a motel room my whole life. She called it grit on her floor. We lived in the country. That's a problem. You come in from a hayfield. You come in from working all day. Uh, here's what she would do. Sometimes she would go nuts cleaning and she'd put a note on the door. You're not coming in. That's what the note said. I just mopped the floor. That's what it would say. She would even lock her precious boys outside. I know that's shocking. Probably would get her turned into CPS uh, today, right? But then she would come to the door when it was time to come in and she'd say, take those nasty clothes off and go get in the shower. And she'd say just about like that too. Don't you bring that grit in here. So you know what we'd do? It was just boys. We'd shuck our dirty clothes and we'd go right to the shower that was just inside the garage door and we'd get in it one by one and we'd wash ourselves off and then not only were we welcome, everything was fine. You bring your dirty clothes in my mama's house, you bring stains on my mama's carpet, she's not going to be happy with you. It's not okay. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Who brought the mud in? That's one of those deals, right? You probably had some grandma Neat nut somewhere that's that way. Here's what Jesus is saying. I came and died for you and showed you a different way to live. And you don't get to live and keep the dirty clothes when I'm trying to give you the robe of a king's son. I'm trying to put shoes on your feet that will keep you out of that. I'm trying to put a robe on you. I'm trying to prepare your mind. I'm trying to lead you to a better life. You don't get to come in my father's house with your dirty clothes on. you got to take them off. You know the only one that can take them off for you is Jesus. The Bible teaches us that Ananias came and preached to Saul of Tarsus before he became the Apostle Paul and said, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, 
calling on the name of the Lord. Do you have dirty clothes on? If you do, I want you to listen to this next passage because it's close to the very end of the Bible in Revelations 20, verse 11. It says, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. You know what Jesus says about our works? Matthew 7, the same passage that talks about judge not that ye be not judged, says this, Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. What Jesus was condemning in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, is saying that you know what people's motives are, and you can judge people's hearts. You can't do that. If you're a fornicator or you're a drunkard or you're full of hate and envy, that's fruit. It's fruit. And I'm not judging you when I say that God is not okay with that kind of fruit. You want to know why I'm not judging? Because all I have to do is say, hey, Jesus said you're going to know them by their fruit and this kind of fruit's not okay. Hey, I see a lot of fruit that looks like this. Who judged who? Jesus judged that person. And the job of every Christian is to put God between that person and help them see that that real problem is between them and God. It's not about me. I'm not your judge. I'm not your savior. I'm not your king. I'm not your creator. But Jesus is. Very quickly, I want to say this because it's very important. Jesus is going to surprise a lot of people because they have not used what he has given them. And they've wasted every talent that he put in their body to use. You know, your body's a rental vehicle. You're going to give it back. 1 Corinthians 6 says, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, our, that's who we are. Our body is God's, not our own. We were bought with a price. Matthew 25, 14 says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. He gave unto one five talents, to another two, and to another one, and to every man according to his ability, and straightway took his journey. And he that had received five talents went and traded with the same and made other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two also gained the other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants comes and reckons with them. You know what happens? You know what happens. Jesus blessed the two and the five-talent servant and said... You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And to the one talent man, he cast him into outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, God expects you to use your body and your mind and your hands. Not for your own glory, but for his. And here's what you're going to see if you're logical about this. What God is going to do if you allow him to be in charge of your life, it is, is going to change you. He's going to alter you. He's going to make you better. 
You want to know what's going to happen to the Christian man and the Christian woman that get married that are under the control of Jesus Christ? They're going to be a better man and a better woman. They're going to have a better marriage. And God's going to keep that going until they die. And you know what I've learned? I've learned that when you first start out and you first start using your talents, you're kind of weak need about it and you're not very good. Teaching the Word of God. Good night. I've never thought I would do this. First time anybody ever heard me, all they saw was the top of my head and what was 58 pages took me about 12 minutes. Now you're praying, oh please. Whenever you use something, it gets better. You go start visiting people. It's going to be difficult at first. You go start serving people. Sometimes it's going to be difficult. You keep increasing those talents. You hone those skills. I promise you there are people in this building that cook and do and go above and beyond. And when they first started, they're not even close to what they were when they started out. God expects you to use your talent. We all have it. And if you don't know what it is, chances are the people around you do. Listen to them. Figure out what it is and grow that talent because Jesus is coming one day and he's absolutely takes it personal if we don't take what he has given us and we use it for his glory. And again, the logic is I'm going to inherently bless you and give you something greater. I'm going to make you greater than you ever could have been if you'll just devote your heart to me. That's really what talent multiplying is all about. Last of all, when Jesus comes, he's going to separate people. When the Son of Man, Matthew 25, shall come in his glory, verse 31, with all his holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them from one another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This Matthew 25 passage is a real big one because it shows how much Jesus requires of your care and concern and love for other people. He gets down to nitty gritty. He says, I was sick. You didn't visit me in prison. I was naked, didn't clothe me, hungry, thirsty, didn't give me anything to eat or drink. And they said, when did we see you this way? When did we see you this way? And Jesus said, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. If you don't in the course of your week, of your month, of your year, ever have any interaction where you do anything for anybody else in the body of Christ, this passage should rattle your cage. The church is not about one man or one woman or one family. The church is about each and every. There is no big and little. There are every single member is important. And Jesus is going to come and say, Hey, all of my lambs, all of my sheep, you never had time for one single one. And when you don't have time for anybody else that's saved and anybody else that's serving me and following me and you can't give your time and you can't devote yourself to that, it's just the same as if you slapped me in the face and you didn't have time for me. Judgment Day is personal with God. 
Judgment Day is when God's mercy and His grace will be on display for those who are in Jesus Christ, but it will also be a day in which God's wrath is on display for people that have thumbed their nose at every teaching and every doctrine that Jesus came and gave His life's blood. This morning, we're going to sit or stand around a table. There's going to be a loaf of unleavened bread that we are going to partake of, and there's a cup filled with grape juice. The reason we do this is because almost 2,000 years ago, the Savior said, This cup is the New Testament ratified by my blood. It means every page of this New Testament has been ratified by the blood that he shed on Calvary. And that's how Jesus would say, my words, they are spirit and they are life to you. And when people walked away from him, Jesus dejected, turned to his disciples and said, will he also go away and bless Peter's hearts? He said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You may follow yourself. You may follow your mama. You may follow your daddy. You may follow a boyfriend or a girlfriend. But unless you're following the words of Jesus Christ that were blood-bought words in a blood-bought covenant, you do not and will not and have not followed words that give life. This message gives life. One day, he's going to be able to speak life, eternal life to you when he calls your name. Can't find that anywhere else. You can't have that anywhere else. But Jesus. There's a story I'll close with. A preacher wrote about a, a funeral that he had to go to. He said it was the worst funeral he'd ever been to in his life. Some of you have been to a lot of funerals and you've been to some bad ones. Some that just ripped your guts out. Preacher said it was the funeral of a 20-year-old young man. He was the apple of his parents' eye. Beautiful young man. Everybody loved him. Everybody liked him. He was great. He was riding his motorcycle that his mama didn't want him to ride. She was always on him about safety. He was struck and killed. He was the only son, the only child they had. The preacher said, you can't imagine the outpouring of grief that came around that family. It was just line after line. The, the mom and the dad were just devastated. Devastated is not even a good enough word. They couldn't hardly stand up. They, it was one of those deals they had cried until the tears would no longer come. The preacher did his best to get through the service. And as he said his last amen and people began to file by, the father motioned to the preacher to come to him that told this story. And the preacher went over to his chair and he said, when everyone but the family is out, I want to say a prayer at the casket. And I said, do you, do you think you can do it? And he said, I'm going to do it. The preacher went to the funeral director, outlined the father's request with swift dignity. Everyone else was ushered out. 
This man and his wife drew the strength to rise one last time and go to the head of the coffin that held on to their beautiful baby boy. And all those memories. And the preacher said, I still remember the prayer. Oh God, thank you for giving us this boy these 20 years. Thank you for all the love and the memories and the goodness that he brought us. Father, help us to go on. Help us to overcome this and this tragedy. Help us to live our life for you. Forgive us. And please, Father, do what you can for our boy. We know you are a just and a good God. But do what you can for our boy. He closed his prayer in Jesus' name, took three steps toward the door, and collapsed. Two strong men grabbed him under his arms and ushered him to the car that waited to take him to the cemetery. His mother gasped and literally fainted. One of the nephews that she had picked her up and carried her to the car and put her in it. The preacher said, I turned away and I wept as I have not wept in a long, long time. Truly, he said, it was the saddest funeral I've ever been to because that boy was not a Christian. He wasn't a Christian. I want to tell you this. When I was a, a young man, I heard my dad say this, and I never forgot it. My dad loves us. We, all of us brothers, we talk to our dad several times. I do several times a week. I remember as a little boy, he would say in the pulpit as he was preaching, I would rather come around a curve and see my boys having had an automobile wreck and their flesh that I would give my life for wrapped around a tree and know that they were safe and going to go to heaven than I would see them live their lives outside and away from Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. That always stuck with me. Always stuck with me. And I want it to stick with you today. Jesus said, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of righteousness. God's not asking you to be perfect, but God's asking you to be faithful. He's asking you to give heart, soul, and mind to him. one day you're going to face him. And the hands that are outstretched inviting the world to come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest are the same hands that can save you but they're also the same hands that one day will be your judge. The hands today can be your savior. The hands today can heal you. The hands today can mend your broken heart and put you back together again. One day those hands will hand down a sentence Where do you stand 
with the hands of Jesus today? Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins into Christ Jesus based off your faith and confession that Jesus is the Son of God and your commitment to change your life? Maybe you've done that, but you've let sin get a hold of you. This is what we do here. Every single person that's not going to come forward this morning, that's been faithful and that is forgiven, has done this before. They've had a moment where they weren't okay with God and they got right with God, but it takes courage to step outside the pull of your life. Satan is pulling for all he's worth. I'll give one more story and I'm done. My wife Julie has a grandmother that is suffering from a terrible disease that many of you know all too well in your families, dementia. When she was a young mother, she had four children. Her husband was not a Christian and he gave her the worst possible you could never imagine the kind of grief he did. Later on in his life, she won him to Christ, and he would, in bitter tears, talk about how miserable a man he was. Early on in their marriage, their children were little. They started to go to church one Sunday morning, and he wanted to play hardball and be nasty about it, and they literally had a tug-of-war over the children in the front yard. She never backed down for a second. Not a second. And she won. And all of her children follow Jesus Christ today. Listen, we feel like we're in a tug of war for you this morning. And we're on the line with you. Most importantly, the greatest, most powerful creator of the universe will not lose that battle if you'll just grab a hold and let us pull you over. Let us help you. Let the Lord help you. But don't stay where you are. Don't stay in sin. Won't you come? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.